welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnor and Navya, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we are excited to explore the topic of South Asian mental health and hear from our guest speaker, Amik, who is part of a group called Brown Women Health. We'll get Amik to introduce herself as well as the group that she's part of. But first, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, Amik, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on this podcast, and I've heard previous episodes, and it's just amazing content that you put out there. So thank you for inviting me. We're very excited about this topic as well. And Amik, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your initiative, Brown Women Health? Yes, sure. So my name is Amik. It's my last year at school. So I am currently an undergraduate studying data science, which is very different from health. So Brown Women Health was honestly something I never really thought I would start. It really just happened because I was sitting there during the pandemic watching a webinar, and the webinar wasn't even about health either. It was just about women, the South Asian community, it's specifically mm-hmm. Punjabi women. And something that really came up was the idea of health and how women don't tend to make their own health decisions or sometimes don't go to the doctor until it's too late. They don't prioritize themselves. And it seemed to be something that was so specific in our culture. And I thought about that for a long long time and realized that's something I see in my own immediate family. So my mom mm-hmm. also had breast cancer a couple years back and I never really thought about the South Asian ties towards it, like genetically what differences can that make. Even food and diet wise, what do we eat as South Asians that can really contribute to something like breast cancer. So women's health is something that's seriously under tapped in your community, but it's not just limited to like breast cancer, women's health, that also expands to mental health. And so I got really angry just reading all of this stuff and all the research that exists out there about public health that it's like South Asian based especially immigrants who because there are so many South Asian immigrants a lot of those papers state that there's not enough research and there's such a Mm -hmm. small number of papers out there we have so many South Asians and I was just like I love making graphics and I got super impulsive move I just made an Instagram completely made it anonymized I didn't want to put my face or anything on there but eventually turned into something like podcast as well so you kind of can't be anonymous anymore (laughs) but yeah that's what started that's amazing no I think you're absolutely right I have a friend who is pursuing her PhD and she's focusing a lot on South Asian women and various parts of health and body image specifically but every time I remember talking to her about oh how is that going and she's always talking about how there's so limited research out there and it's astounding because you think so far into it where in 2021 you'd imagine like it'd be diverse and expanded But the research isn't there. And sometimes because the research isn't there, there's these small things that you miss that you just don't think about or you don't get an opportunity to explore. So I'm so glad that you did jump on that and you were able to start this initiative because it's an amazing initiative. You're raising so much awareness and bringing up topics that people oftentimes are uncomfortable to talk about. No, thank you so much for saying that. And yeah, I think even for me, like I was super uncomfortable thinking about writing all this stuff with breast cancer. You know, you're putting out graphics with like breast cancer, you know if you have cancer, things like that. So I think I've grown a lot from it too. So it was kind of selfish, but like I really am glad that I was also able to gain so much from putting all of that because it forced me to read more things too. And 
I got to share that with the rest of the Brown Women Health team and so many people like you two on social media and so many others. So it's been a very rewarding experience, but there's so much more to do. So I'm very excited for that. That's amazing, Amik. I can just tell by the way that you're talking how passionate you are about the topic. And of course, it started close to home for you, but you've expanded so much. Like we're in different countries and we were able to find you on Instagram and connect that way. And I think that's just the beauty of having a platform like this on social media, right? And sharing all that information. And we wish you all the best with your future posts and podcast episodes. And yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to having you on this episode and being able to talk about this through a little bit more of a mental health lens. So I'm wondering, Amik, so you shared a little bit about your journey and what encouraged you to start the initiative in Brown Women Health specifically. So far, how has your experience been with the podcast, with the page, everything really? Yeah, so when I made the page, I wanted it to be a collective thing because I know I'm just an undergrad. I have not enough knowledge for any of this. We expanded it. There was a team, like it was like two people, then three people, and then it turned into 15 to 17-ish people. And it was great because it, I've never met anyone in person. We were all over, like the team's international. We have people in Canada too. And so that was pretty great. And that's how the podcast actually started. My forte, I think, it was just making the graphics. I love colors. I had Canva Pro for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun and then someone else came in wanted to start a podcast because these conversations can't be limited to graphic which is like a very cool initiative on how to collaborate with other people get more expert opinions on certain things and then another cool thing about the team is it's very flexible with this whole time commitment thing so she had to drop off just to like study for an exam yeah I'm very grateful that she started the initiative because I myself don't think I would have ever been in this podcasting realm but because of that I am and I really enjoy it now Yeah, I think it's the same story for me too, Amik, actually getting into podcasting. Prabhner was very interested in it and she had strong passion for it. And then I think it rubs off on you. And it's pretty cool to see how people around you can influence where your life heads because now we've been doing our podcast for quite some time. And it's amazing. I can't even imagine being in my master's program without the podcast. And it sounds like it's a similar experience for you. It's become such an integral part of who you are and what your initiative is really leading towards. So yeah, it's very cool. And it sounds like it's been quite an experience for you starting off with the infographics and then realizing the need for those conversations. And that seems to be a similarity between both of our podcasts as realizing as well that especially with mental health issues, having those conversations and opening up those doors is a great place to at least start with awareness and then we can move forward from there yeah so I'm wondering on that Amik have you learned anything special or anything really about mental health through your experiences talking with the various guest speakers that you have an opportunity to sit down with through the podcast and how has that been for you yeah I know I was so surprised with this podcast and even just the page in general because everything I talked a little bit about breast cancer, so just going back to that example, even things like PCOS, eating disorders, every single thing had some sort of mental health tie. I think I learned so much because I didn't realize so many of our physiological problems have so much connection with our mental well-being. There was a podcast episode that we had with Chronically Brown, which is a chronic illness South Asian community, and the founder of that, she's based in the UK, and a huge part of that podcast was just her talking about the mental health side of like chronic illness. Even though this chronic illness is associated with physical disability of being not able to walk or you're feeling so much pain in your joints, 
but she was also talking so much about the trauma that comes with it and how that stress just changed so much for her. So I've learned a lot about mental health, but I think the most stark thing is that everything is just so interconnected and it's just so important to keep much better mental health for that very reason. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned interconnectedness because I'm going to throw in a little bit of CBT in there and how we talk so much about how interconnected really our experiences can be, especially if we look at it from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective. They share that every situation really does connect to our thoughts, our emotions, any physical body sensations, and then even our behaviors and how all of these things can lead to the other and vice versa. So absolutely, you're right. Everything is interconnected where you may have a physical ailment or you might be physically feeling ill, but you know that has an impact on your mood. So an example could be like, say my stomach is hurting and I'm not having a good day. So I'm going to stay in bed because I'm feeling kind of sad and because I'm in bed, I'm thinking, oh, I should have been doing more or, oh, you know what? I'm not getting the things I wanted to be done. And in consequence, I might be like, I'm just going to stay in bed more and how all that one thing can really impact so many different areas. And it can go the other way around as well. That if I'm not feeling good or I'm thinking I don't want to do anything, I might not end up doing anything. So there is this interconnectedness, absolutely, and that our mind and body are connected in some realm for sure. I didn't realize that that was a CBT term as well. And I think that that was just very cool to learn from this. Yeah. Yeah, we do talk about like a triad, but we know that it's more than even just a triad, right? There's so many different variables there that play into it. And like Prabhner said, even the bi-directionality, complicated term, but the idea that relationships can go both ways. So the mind affecting the body, but also the body affecting the mind and just how we can maybe make our lives a little bit easier by changing small things in terms of our experiences. Say for CBT, it might be thoughts that we teach people to just slightly adjust and balance and so there's lots of different perspectives as well that change slightly different things. So for example, say using grounding techniques, that can be a way to influence the physical sensations that you're experiencing. And so if we can target certain areas, hopefully the entire experience is more manageable. And I really love that you mentioned chronic pain because that's a huge area that also a lot of the people in the clinic work on and specialize in chronic pain and just how difficult that can be for people in terms of mental health and also physically. So yeah, I think it's great that you were able to have a conversation with someone who is going through that and experiencing that and getting a sense of what that's really like on a day-to-day basis for them. Have there been any other guest speakers or any other individuals that you've talked to that have focused more on mental health or even explored mental health in a particular area that you hadn't thought about before? That's such a good question. I think something that there's so many, first of all, someone that really does stand out, though, is we had a podcast with Mernal and she's an author and she wrote a book called Saya Unveiled. And so I haven't read a book in so long. But this is the first time I read a book and so quickly because the way she documents mental health. So it's, it's an anthology of many different short stories, real stories. She interviews people, but I think she changes the name unless they're okay with having mm. her name there. And so incidentally, one of those stories was someone we interviewed for a podcast on eating disorders. So it was crazy because I didn't know this whole part of her story until I read the book. 
And what really stood out about that book to me, though, was I myself don't really know what something like depression feels like. I thought, okay, like I can be stressed sometimes. Oh, is this what it feels like? But I read this book and I'm like, no, this really makes you understand what someone's going through. The way she takes someone's stories and you get into their heads and understand every little nuance. And I think the best part is because she focused on like 11 different South Asians. She really tried to diversify age where they are what type of mental illness they might have been going through, gender. Because of that, you get so many different understandings, flavors of what that means. So I really, really recommend that book. I think that's what I really understood. I don't even know if I could say I understood it, but I think I like really got a much better sense of what mental health means, especially in the South Asian community. So I think that's a really worthwhile book to check out. That's amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely share the title for people to check it out. And I am going to order it as soon as I can, because I think that's amazing. I love the fact that there's multiple different short stories, like you said, and that idea of representation and how important that is for people. So you can read a book about, let's say, one person's experience, but it may not really align with your experience or you may feel like I can't really relate to that. But the idea that you can hear stories from multiple different people and even if one part of your experience relates to theirs you feel a little bit more seen and represented that way and just how powerful that can be for people so yeah that's awesome thanks for sharing that Amik. Definitely yeah thank you and then one other thing that I did also want to mention is something Mm -hmm. that really popped out when I did some sort of research on mental health is that South Asian women are statistically found to underutilize mental health services. So I think that's also really important in terms of South Asians and specifically like in terms of brown women health is South Asian women's focused rates. So Mm -hmm. that was something that I think is really important to raise attention to. And there's so many questions I have just reading that. It's like, why is that the case? And there's no specific answer, but I think that's a question we have to kind of ask ourselves. Why is that happening? And all three of us are South Asian women, so if you all have thoughts on that too. But yeah, that's something I wanted to point out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I'm reflecting, at least even on the clients that I'm working with, so as a psychotherapy student, I have an opportunity to work with different clientele and patients as well. And when I reflect on the individuals I am working with, there's not a lot of South Asian individuals that I have the chance to work with. I have a handful, particularly because there's just one area that I'm in as a lot of South Asian people. But beyond that, it's true. I haven't had the chance to reach out to many South Asian individuals, but myself, even when I'm thinking about before I got into the master's, I wasn't comfortable reaching out for mental health help or even seeing what it was because it's so stigmatized, at least in my immediate family and extended family, it wasn't something that you really talked about. So I can imagine that in other households, if they were experiencing similar things, how would be uncomfortable and awkward and you'd think twice about even thinking of oh is this something I should reach out for should I be doing this what do I do so I can see that as a big barrier for people to even think about reaching out for support if they need it and I think Prabner similar for me I was interested in mental health always but the idea of using the resources myself was a little bit beyond me before I joined the master's program and it's amazing to think that now we're a part of those resources and 
thinking about how can we make these more accessible now so that people in our place before we joined the program wouldn't feel that gap and wouldn't feel just that hesitation to reach out. And Amik, you mentioned earlier about research as well on this particular subset of the population. So South Asian women and mental health. And so I know that a lot of times in the clinic where we have our placement, some of the groups that we run are also part of research studies. And so the idea that if women aren't using those resources and aren't able to reach out for support, they may not be represented in the literature and in the research. It's just an ongoing vicious cycle then, right? Because no wonder we don't have that representation in the research. So it's interesting to think about, like, then how can we tap into resources that people are using and then maybe get a better sense of how those resources are being used since they are being underutilized. So definitely lots to think about and I think similar to Pravnor, I can think of a lot of different factors that come into the way and lots of different barriers that arise for people. And so I think it would be interesting at some point in our discussion to even talk about what some of those could be. And yeah, like even things as basic as language barriers. And so that can be just a huge reason why people might hesitate to seek support, especially if they don't find that representation in, let's say, therapists or counselors or psychologists to think that, will someone understand my story if I'm not able to communicate it in a common language, let's say, and just how scary that can be for people. I think both of you just said so much that there's just so much to unpack. And one of them, I think, was just mentioned was like the research portion of it. And that's not something I thought about. If we're not going to get these services, then we're not represented in research because that was another problem. A lot of these studies don't have enough South Asian representation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, why aren't people signing up for these studies? But it's all a cycle. And I think that's very crazy. Yeah, so I think that's just something that came to my mind with research too. But even what you said about language barriers, I think that's actually one of the main things. I did a project with telehealth too, which is just general providers. And I think that's something huge that came up. Language barriers is like the main issue that people had when it came to telehealth services. So even in the day and age of even therapy and things like that, it doesn't even have to be telehealth. I think it's even harder to translate because I feel like a lot of this stuff is when you're having therapy, the words that you use are so important. And if you're using like an interpreter service or something like that, a lot of those words are lost in translation. A lot of these interpreters might change up something. You might not understand if they're changing up something. And maybe there's not a word that describes something in a certain language. And then we're talking about South Asia. South Asia has so many languages. So you can't even just go with the basic Hindi or something and expect them to know what everything means. So yeah, I think that's something that really just came to my mind too. Absolutely. And I think that that's so important that we do acknowledge that because of these areas that are being affected, we're still not getting where we want to be in terms of that representation in research to see, is there something we can do? And even just thinking about that language barrier, I was very fortunate enough that I was able to work with a client who didn't speak English. So we were able to do therapy in another language. That was a new experience for myself as well. And then it made me reflect on how many individuals are able to provide therapy in different languages and how that is so important. And it can be such a vital reason why someone does or doesn't end up seeking help and how we really need to expand. And I think that comes into that representation of, in our case, really South Asian women representing as mental health professionals, whether it's therapists, counselors, physicians, even seeing that, can we get our representation in there so we can actually support those people that might need an extra bit of help in terms of language or other barriers that come up? Yeah. 
And I'm sure the experience you had in a different language, was it tough to find certain words directly translate over or anything like that? Absolutely. This individual was talking about grief and some of the language that she was using. I just don't know if I'd even be able to translate that to English. So we were talking in Urdu and it was very specific. Some of the words that she was using were very particular to her experiences and her feelings around what had gone on. So I feel like if we were to have this conversation in English or if I had a translator translating it, I may have missed some of the details that she shared. I think in addition to the language part, you're talking about the experiences as well. I think Another added thing is not just language barriers, but maybe like, I don't know if cultural barriers would be the term, but something Mm -hmm. along the lines of understanding how South Asian family dynamics work or something like that. Like one of my really good friends is Korean and he was telling me about his therapy experience and how he was so happy to find a Korean therapist because she understood his family with a snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. And he's explained this family situation to me in the past and it it's very different i think in terms of culture wise like what people value in certain parts of asia too and also going back to research the idea of when we take all these surveys a lot of the times it's just asks us what ethnicity you are and it's just asian it's not south asian it's not east asian i think it's starting to change now but that's still i think the general what you see And I think that also, especially with COVID data, has been kind of misrepresents. I think it's very different. I think East Asia versus South Asia, for example, and these statistics. So it's so important to start differentiating them, I think, a lot more because especially the South Asian population, I know in the United States, the number of South Asians has now surpassed the number of East Asian per side in the U.S. So I think it's now important to make these sorts of distinctions because they are very different populations. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to do we have people in these areas like experts in research and statistics and all these different areas that have an understanding of those nuances. So the differences in languages, the differences in culture, and are they then being well represented in that research data? And we know how important and vital that research is because it drives government funding. It drives different areas of exploration and findings and treatment. And so I think you've brought up some really great points, Amik, about just grouping areas together or even the idea of like just putting everyone into an other, right? And so that other can have so many different variations to it. Yeah, lots and lots to think about. But I think what both of you have been mentioning is this idea of nuances and how with language and culture, there's just so many nuances and that if we are able to train our professionals and train therapists and whoever it may be, statisticians, to understand at least some of these nuances or at least be sensitive to nuances, then hopefully we're able to reflect people's experiences better and then ultimately provide better care for them, right? And Pravner, I think it's amazing to hear about your experience doing therapy in a different language. And I think that'd be a really cool conversation to continue as well in another episode, just to reflect on what that was like and how it might be different from using a translator like we've discussed already. Yeah, and I think that representation is something that we really need and it can open so many more doors as well because you have someone on the inside then saying, hey, this might not be applicable here or grouping that other is not applicable because when we think about it, like you mentioned, Amik, there's so much variation just within Asia itself. But even if we narrow it down to, let's say, India, there is so much diversity within India that if we really wanted to, you would need to break that down because someone, let's say, from North India might have a very different cultural outlook on life than someone from even South India. And that varies 
from location to location. And I'm sure within the three of us even, there's going to be so many differences, even though we're all South Asian women. So having someone representing that or even speaking up at least to bring some awareness on it on more of an institutional level is really essential. Mm-hmm. And that's talking about India itself. And then we add in, let's say, the idea of immigration and how different that experience is, because we've all come from different countries to the country where we currently are. And so what that experience is like, just tons and tons to unpack there and so much to explore. It's quite exciting to think about just all the areas that are left for us to really dive into and talk to experts about and find out more about. But yeah, I think immigration is a huge, huge one to think about and what that experience is like for people especially through a mental health lens yeah the immigration aspect so there was a term called culturative stress which is very interesting because it's about how when you end up in another country especially if you're going from someplace like india to the us or canada i feel like values are so different there's huge culture shock and with that culture shock there's another level of stress that you can face so that's a very real problem too. And I think something interesting about the Brown Women Health page too is we really do focus on that immigrant population, the diaspora of South Asians as well. So I think that's also something really different about the page compared to being South Asians in South Asia versus South Asians out of South Asia. Yeah, it's a very unique experience. And like we said, so much variability in people's experiences. So whether you were born here as a South Asian or if you were immigrated here or if your parents immigrated here, just how different even family dynamics can be and I'm just thinking about my family moving to Canada and just how that experience was compared to say my friends and other family friends and other family I know and it's just all so unique but so important for us to have a better sense of and to really understand so that we can offer the correct resources the resources that will actually support people and really get to the crux of where maybe we're lacking and where people aren't actually able to reach out for support so lots and lots to explore for sure. Thanks, Amik, so much for sharing all of your thoughts on your experiences and also with Brown Women Health. We're wondering, we've been talking a lot about various themes and representation and mental health and all these different areas. What are some things that you feel like through your experiences or through conversations you've had, can we do to address some health disparities and particularly for mental health concerns within the South Asian population? That's a very, very good question. I don't even think I have the best answer to it. I think there's so many different ways to address it. And I myself think the best way is just talking, talking about it. And don't be ashamed to seek any sort of services. If you need therapy, it's not a bad thing. So many people are seeking it and you don't even know. Some of my really good friends are seeking it. I didn't even know. I think that's something really interesting to do. And also another thing is there's so many amazing initiatives out there that people need to look at more. I Punjabi and there's this wonderful resource called Theraki. It's based in the UK and I think I've used a lot of their resources myself. They have amazing support groups that you just go there and you just feel uplifted. There's so many people share the same sorts of struggles as like South Asians, especially students. So things like setting boundaries, I think that's a huge one as women. And there's a wonderful organization called Labmia in Canada. And we had a podcast episode with the person who started that. And it was really interesting to hear about setting boundaries more with your parents. And it's not just limited to parents, it's with friends, it's with significant others, anything. And then another thing is just look at pages 
that really address mental health. Your page, your podcast is amazing. There's another one, I think Shakti Therapy, based in LA, and she talks about so many cool different things, like with the COVID crisis in India. I know a lot of us are stressed. I'm in the US thinking about our relatives. She had a really amazing resource on that. Another one on Diwali and like what that means from a mental health perspective, journaling prompts. I'm just name dropping so many people right now, but there's a therapist based off in New York. It's Therapy Couch, NYC, I think. And so she had a whole Insta Live on relationships and mental health. And I think another thing is with brown girls, it's like you're not really supposed to tell your parents, oh, you're in a relationship, you know, or your family. So I think that was something that was very cool because she's like an auntie, like talking about relationships on Instagram Live. And we were talking about those dynamics with mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. Basically what I'm saying here is there's so many different people except they're so scattered but I think if you look on social media you'll find your people. So that's really important because there's so many resources that exist. Don't wait till it's really bad it comes to mental health. You can start now with looking at things. Take care of yourself, especially a South Asian woman. Prioritize yourself because that's what research is showing. We don't do that. We care too much about other people. We're people pleasers. Not to generalize but I know I'm like that too so I learned a lot from that and I'm under doing that for myself and also just talking talking to everyone just being more open I think that's important and then supporting initiatives like ones that are doing that sort of work I think is also really important so if there are fundraisers happening or something like that I think it never hurts you're paying five bucks for Starbucks it doesn't hurt to use that five bucks for that organization instead so that's another thing I know I rambled I hope that answers the question but there's so much you can do I think it really just narrows down if I had to give like a TLDR to the best way is to one prioritize yourself and see how you can you know improve your own mental health and then two support those initiatives look for those initiatives because there's so many that exist out there and if you want to find out more I know so many just DM the Brown Woman Health page it's so down to like connect people have done that in the past specifically to like eating disorders or anything like that I'm asking about those resources so we are always down to help connect you to those as well but there's so many other better pages that can probably do that <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you, Amik. I can tell just how much your experience in Brown Women Health has really connected you with so many people. You're able to share all of these different resources for people to reach out to. And I think, like you said, a lot of them are scattered. And so the idea that someone is able to, let's say, go to a page like Brown Women Health and see who you've been talking to, all the different experts that you've been, I say experts a lot, but just people who are really specialized in a certain area. And so I love that we have resources like that on social media, like your page, to connect people to those resources. And like you said, you're willing to have a conversation and be that little bit of a middleman to get people to that resource that might be helpful or even through that resource, find others. And so it's all about this big community of resources and the idea that we're all just one part of it. And so if we're able to get into that community and help each other support each other. I think that's honestly just such a great way to get started. And then, like you mentioned, the conversations. And that's really what our goal is, too, is just start talking about these things. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to bring up certain topics with parents and family. And so if maybe you're able to hear people talk about it through a podcast, it's less intimidating and scary to actually have people discuss these issues. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Amik. I think it's been amazing to hear about where we can take things next and deal with some of these health disparities. And I'm feeling very hopeful hearing you talk about just all the different things that we can do and very excited to check out some of those resources that you shared. 
No, thank you for inviting me and thank you for starting an initiative like this. I think it's so inspiring to see both of you entering the field that you're entering. And not only are you students, but you're making this podcast and you're adding all this really important knowledge and putting that out there. So thank you for doing that. And I'm so excited to see where both of you go too. Thanks, Amik. No, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad that we've been talking about having these conversations and having these pages to share these resources because you've started an amazing organization in itself and sharing or even just having that platform where people can come to your page and see where do I want to go from here and even offering that opportunity to be like, hey, reach out to us and we can even connect you. So thank you for starting that. And we're excited to see where you take your next chapter in life after undergrad. We know you're in your last year. So that's really exciting. Good luck on that. And a big thank you for coming out today. Just as we end, we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and well-being. And we did want to leave you with some resources. This includes Good to Talk, Kids Help Phone, Connects Ontario, and Bounce Back Ontario. We also wanted to share some South Asian specific resources for those who are seeking support or would like to learn more about what is out there in terms of support. First off, we have South Asian Canadian Health and Social Services. This is an organization that offers mental health programs for the community. There's also the South Asian Women's Center, which is run by and for South Asian women with the mission to promote well-being and access to programs and services. There's also Soch Mental Health, which encourages conversations about mental health in South Asian communities and offers workshops and resources. Lastly, there's Ladlia, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to empower South Asian girls and women. The focus is on education, engagement, and awareness. Now, these are just a few resources that we know of within Canada, but we encourage you to explore your own local resources for mental health and please reach out to them if you need it. You can connect with us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at so tell me more podcast. Check out our Instagram page for future updates. And it's also a great way to reach out to us and share what you're interested in hearing on our podcast, as well as any feedback that you may have. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts or wherever else you're listening right now very exciting news our next season will be launching soon so we do thank you for your ongoing support throughout our first season and look forward to connecting with you again in our season two thank you so much for listening and sticking out with our first season this is going to be our last episode for now but we do hope that you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration for mental health in the south asian community we're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes in season two But for now, stay safe and take care.